Ooey, Hello, everyone. I'm back. <laughs> so sorry. Yay, we're... Jen's back. Awesome. Yes. I'm happy sorry, because we're... last time was uh, was stressful, but yeah. Yeah, Jen. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a bit hard to do it as like a solo person with how we've set up the episodes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just talking to yourself is is kind of weird. It's like you know, there's no back and forth. It's just me and a wall, like an echo. Not fun. Yeah. Happier back, Jen. So happy. <laughs> so very happy. Well, I talk to myself out loud all the time anyway. And that answer, which apparently is a sign of insanity. But, I mean, also, the questions get answered. So really, what's the point? Like, who cares? Who cares about that? We're here. Hey, we're back. If you're functionally insane, what's the problem? I see no problem. Right? Functionally insane. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> but I am back. Back in the back. Back in black or something. Well, actually, I'm wearing all black. So I guess that counts. But in this week's episode, we have an amazing interview with Vida, La Vida Loca Sawyers, which we will give you a bit more information about closer to, you know, when you actually listen to the damn thing. Um, but I can definitely let you know in advance, this interview was recorded with just Evita and I, and this happened in September. So there are some things that she will mention time-wise, and you'll be like, wait, what? But that was recently. Nah, that was like... <laughs> back in August or September, some of the stuff we referenced. So there's that thing to look forward to. Um, next week, we have our gifts episode coming out. Like, if you want to buy gifts for your significant others. Yep. Tis the season. Tis the season. Even though we're in a goddamn pandemic. We still gotta shower our booze with love. And I'm all on board with that. And what better way to do that than give them tons of money? And by them, I mean me. Give me tons of money. I appreciate it. I love you guys. And your money. And your money. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I I want to tell you guys the truth. I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't l- listen to the episodes after the editing is done. Like, we do the editing for the episodes. I listen to it for the show notes and to, like, fine-tune certain things so that I never listen to it again. So something pretty similar happened last week. So I don't know what Sham talked about. May have been weird. Maybe it wasn't weird. I don't know. I it did, was definitely weird. <laughs> I did hear a rumor that he said something he wasn't supposed to say. Oop, did I? Oops. Someone said, Sham literally said, oh, Jen's going to be mad I said that. Oh, right. That. Hmm. I don't know what it was, I mean, Sham. No, there was there's nothing I could have possibly said <laughs> that could upset you. I would never do that on purpose. Never. That's crazy. Never. Uh-huh. Sure. Sure. I might have to break my own rule and listen to the episode and find out. Nah, it's not time to be breaking rules. Can't be doing new things. It's 2020. You gotta, you gotta play it safe. <laughs> That's what we're doing, right? Yeah. Wear a condom and a mask. Which reminds yeah. me, have you seen that funny picture going around of like a mask with like a hole in it that's like condom shaped and the condom like sticking out of it? I I saw that. That's uh, huh. That's something. I don't know. Safe sex I, on both fronts. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what context am I getting a blowjob from someone who, I, I guess if you're at a swing club, that would be the way to do it, but I, mean, I wouldn't be at a swing club right now. Sham, the most obvious thing, prostitution. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, of course. Wow, saying? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> what are you even saying? Sorry, I'm not, you know, not well versed in the uh, the sex work, unfortunately. Especially right now. This is not time yeah. I'm trying to go <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, we're not trying to do it, but you know, sex workers still need to work. They still need to make their money. Yeah, so, okay. go and do, be safe while doing it. Exactly. They wear a mask and they put the little, you know, thing for the condom. It, it was very interesting, very ingenious. I'll post the link, or I'm actually just going to post the entire picture in our show notes um, on our website. Uh, but it was very spicy. I was just like, huh, never thought of that. Seems a bit like a lot of work, but I guess if you have it pre-fit, then how do you even pre-fit yeah. that? I don't even, I guess, I mean, it was a disposable one, right? So I guess if you just... Yeah. Uh, it was a disposable one. Yes, I guess you just, like, if you know if you know it fits, you just... I guess the condom is the weird part. Like, how do you get that? And yeah, how do you condoms get... Condoms are weird enough already. Like, how um, do you get that on, like, to your fit? Oh, nope, I got it now. I got it. I see it in my brain. It is... I'm not even going to go there with y'all. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so... I mean, thinking about it, the condoms do come, like... They're the circle first, so it's not like they're always, like, long and out all weird. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was just like, yep, I just got it. Never mind. <laughs> still, still weird, though. No worries. Still, do your still thing. odd. But do your thing. Do your thing. Hail the king. We do whatever we got to do here. And uh, so we're not going to make the intro super long today. Not super long. Now nah, we're just going to dive into talking to you about our friends at altplayground.net. And uh, in 2021, they rolled out nationally with one important mission, to be the most inclusive lifestyle website out there surprise they've done it um you know there's been some amazing mergers with sites like love voodoo and really they got all these gender identities and sexual orientations and relationship dynamics to choose from they got the communities they got the big wall they got the forums they got the podcast corner they got videos they got they got a lot of shit y'all like so is, much things is all playground the facebook in terms of like all the stuff it does of the non-monogamous lifestyle yeah that's without all the evil <laughs> yeah without all the evil overlord stuff sorry facebook don't take it my whatsapp and instagram and facebook we still like you just you know just outside of that <laughs> so yeah, they want to be the most inclusive website out there. They have gender identities, sexual orientations, and relationship dynamics to choose from at sign up. And Alt Playground has really become one of the go-to sites for sex-positive people across the United States. So in 2021, they want to do way more stuff. We've talked a bit about the tour that's supposed to be happening, the bus tour. We'll get some more information from that in 2021. And Alt Playground's not okay with the status quo. So you want to be a part of this modern, inclusive lifestyle website and be a part of the forward momentum, jet setting off into 2021, you sign up today at altplayground.net. Get it on the ground floor. Well, ground-ish floor. You got this. Let's do it. I guess nothing much more to say. Oh, thank you. I think the episode. Wait, I'm not supposed to do this part. You're supposed to do this part. <laughs> Am I? Okay. Let's see. I just, I wanted to see how it would sound if you did it, since you did it last see, week. <laughs> see, it happened again last week where I, I finished that and I was like, okay, what do I do now? I can't say the thing. Jen says the thing. <laughs> I, found, I found a workaround around it, but yeah. Oh, okay. So you cheated. Oh, definitely cheated. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, I'm back. So I'm Jen. I'm Sham. And, and we're, we're monogamous. monogamous. I don't know. Still a no. Maybe one day it'll be again. Last week, I could have totally just like made it perfect. I was like, now. Nah, So we're back, and like I said, we're talking to 
well, I was talking to Evita Levita Lucas Sawyers. Um, she coaches people and uh, non-monogamy and polyamory. She has an amazing online platform um, where she does these daily polyamorous reminders. She shares these very intimate stories about her life and her journey in non-monogamy and polyamory. And really, it was amazing to get to sit down and talk to her about her experiences. Um, she will be featured on another episode, like I said, about triads. Did I say that already? Maybe I didn't. Surprise! She's going to be on the triad episode, <laughs> and along with some other amazing people. But that episode won't be coming out until January 2021. Or was it February? Maybe January. We'll see. Some Sometime in the future. Let's sometime in the future. That's not it's, this month. That's a tease. <laughs> that's a tease. Yeah. So we do that. We have this amazing conversation. Um. I will post the links, of course, to where to find Evita in our show notes, as per usual. But you're probably tired of me talking now. You can hear me talk more with Evita right now. So today on the podcast, I'm doing a solo interview. Ha <laughs> ha, Sham, you're not here. And I'm with uh, Evita, who is a friend of a friend through friends. And we're actually friends through this polyamorous, you know, black poly people world space that we found ourselves in you might have seen that we share some of her amazing quotes on our ig stories which is pretty much like daily so there's that and you know if you are a part of my facebook sphere which most people are not so i don't know why i'm telling you this but yeah i share stuff on facebook too so yeah go avita yay thank you for being here with me and sham is here because i kicked him out yeah he, he moved out kidding he just he's busy <laughs> Thank you for having me. I super appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Great. So I just I just want people to know about you. So tell us about Evita. What what does Evita do? What does she feel like? What does she love? What just in 30 seconds or less, which is never time. So you can go as long as you want. Don't worry. I just say that to make it sound like there's urgency. There's no urgency. Just, yeah. Tell us a bit about you. Uh, so my name is Vita Sawyers. I am known in the polyam world as Levita Loca Sawyers, and I uh, am a non-monogamy now coach. Uh, so I coach people that are uh, transitioning to non-monogamy or are in non-monogamous relationships and need some kind of guidance on how to navigate them. Um, I also speak and teach and educate on non-monogamy. So I have uh, presented at Poly Dallas Millennium. I presented at Polytopia. Um, I've also done a non-monogamy class for self-serve toys. Um, I was featured in the documentary Poly Love, which was about my first relationship, the triad that I was in. Um, And so I've been on several podcasts, I've done radio interviews, things of that nature. Uh, discussing um, just my non-monogamous living and um, how I came to be where I am today was uh, my husband and I opened up our relationship to non-monogamy about seven years ago and we did swinging for about a year and then we transitioned to polyamory and I struggled a lot with uh, just the, that transition and the jealousy and the insecurity and all these like really funky emotions that I was having. And at that time, and even now, in I joined a bunch of online communities and Facebook groups and stuff, you know, just trying to get community and, and you know, learn how to live this way and, and talk to people about it. And I noticed that there was not a lot of people 
really being very candid about the struggles that they were having in non-monogamy. They weren't really being open. There was a lot of demonization when people would share when they felt jealous or when they felt insecure or they were struggling with a particular emotion or something that their partner was doing. And um, and so most of the conversation around non-monogamy was everybody, you know, you know, just overjoyed with compersion and all these things. And I was like, okay, that is not my experience at all. I'm not feeling any of that. So I just began to talk and kind of be very open about my struggles and not only be open about my struggles, but be very open about the ways in which I navigated those and developed tools and developed a self narrative to, to sort of change how I thought about things. And it started resonating with people. People began to resonate with it because they were like, oh, here's somebody that's finally talking about this feeling that I've been having that I didn't really feel empowered to share because there was such a demonization of like people just talking about their complicated emotions and non-monogamy. And that kind of created this space where I just had this voice in the community. And um, and then there also just wasn't a lot of black people that were really talking about polyamory and being very open about it and, you know, talking about their experience and, you know, sharing that this is who they were and this is what they were doing. And um, that really resonated with people. And so now here I am. <laughs> now here you are, black poly famous. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'll give you another podcast. I mean, ours is the best podcast you've ever been on, obviously. But you've been on another podcast, so I guess we can give them props too. Yeah. But yeah, so it's interesting. So how long were you and your husband married for before you transitioned into non-monogamy? We were married for about 10 years. Oh, wow. That, well, that's pretty standard. I think it's standard. I don't think most people transition right away. I had an interview with another couple earlier on in the season where they were monogamous for a whole time. I think they've only been doing non-monogamy for about a year, but they were married for three or four or something like that. So much shorter period of time. But yeah, what, what would you say really prompted this shift? Were you, did you always feel as if you were non-monogamous on the inside or is it something that you've kind of just grew into? So I always struggled with monogamy, but I just didn't know that there were any other options. So like, I was just like, okay, you know, you kind of do the thing. Just I like, I didn't see it as being non-monogamous. I saw it as, you know, maybe I just wasn't with the right person or, you know, like something wrong with me, but like, I didn't know that there was an option to do something different and how we got into non-monogamy. Like I said, we started with swinging was that, at the time, my son had gotten diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. And so life was like very, very difficult. And my husband had a lot of like sexual hangups and like a lot of just sexual repression. And then I had this very undeveloped bisexuality because I never really got a chance to explore that part of myself. And then I got married to a man and we were monogamous. And so then, you know, there was just no room to do that there. And I really, really, really began to really feel into this being attracted to women and wanting to have that experience. And so we initially got into, so that part was actually very standard and normal. We initially got into non-monogamy because we were like, hey, we have this bisexual, you know, wife who wants to explore that part of herself. So let's try to have a threesome. And so that's how we started. And so I was like, you got a bunch of sexual hangups. You know, I really want to get a chance to have these kind of experiences. Life is really, really crappy right now because we're dealing with this pediatric cancer. And so we need to have a little fun. And so we just started kind of doing all these very like small things. So I actually joke that um, our non-monogamous journey started with a 2 Chains birthday song because... <laughs> 
It has a lyric that says, uh, y'all been together 10 years. You deserve a menage, especially if you put that BMW in a garage. So, like, my husband would kind of joke and go, you know, we could be, like, we, I said we've been married about 9, 10 years. And so he was like, you know, like, you know, I deserve a menage. And I was like, well, give me a BMW. And so, like, you know, so we kind of, like, you know, joked about that. But, you know, we went to the strip club together first. And he got a lap dance. And I just found that I just... I was like, okay, like, you know, and I wasn't really like tripping about it. And so from there we went to the swinger party. And then once we went to the swinger party at that point, we were just like, all right, we're open. And, um, and so, so we did that for a while, but like I said, uh, swinging was challenging for my husband, uh, because he very much is just not a super big fan of, uh, recreational sex in that way. Uh, whereas for me, I was like, this is great. And so in those days, I largely considered myself mostly sexually non-monogamous. So I didn't really have a whole lot of drive to have multiple emotional connections to people. It just wasn't something that I felt like I needed or wanted at the time. Um, but uh, but I, I liked having a variety of sexual partners, and that was what I enjoyed. But it was really a struggle for him. And so we transitioned to polyamory to be a little bit more, you know, kind of incorporate kind of who he was, because he really wasn't enjoying it, and I was. And then, like I said, and then I began to kind of go, you know, having sex with women is nice. But I would really like to have the experience of actually having a romantic relationship with a woman and being in a partnership with a woman. And so that's when we were like, OK, because we actually had a, a, a like a small stint, like six months before we like fully uh, moved into the space of polyamory and just remained there. We had a little like brief stint, maybe about six months before where we were trying it on. And, um, and so we both, you know, set up a date for ourselves and went out on a date and I like lost my shit. Like when he went on a date with his date, I was like, <laughs> okay. Like I was just like, I'm not okay with this. And, um, and so we tabled it, uh, at that time. Cause we were like, okay, this is not going well. And then we came back to it about six months later and then we just stayed open from that point. Well, it's good that you were kind of like, yep, this is not working right now. Something's off. We, we got we got to fix this and that you guys were able to regroup and really kind of drill down into what was going on. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. Like if, if you're not comfortable, we, we need to figure out how we can both be comfortable with these sorts of situations. Right. Transitioning in that way. So that's good that you guys did that. So, of course, you know, swinging into polyamory, that's fine. So how how would you say your family accepted this transition from, you know, monogamous, you know, decades long relationship into you guys now being polyamorous and open? Is, does your family know? Oh, yeah. Everybody in my life knows. I'm super open. My neighbors know. My coworkers know. Like, you know, you literally only have to spend five or ten minutes with me to kind of find out that I'm polyamorous. Um, and so um, my family is actually very liberal, they have a very kind of live and let live mentality. And actually I found out later on, um, you know, from my dad that the fruit don't fall too far from the tree. I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it that way. And family had a little bit of a harder time with it because they're much more uh, conservative. So they were very like about it. Uh, but we both exist in a space of going, look, like, you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. And um, we don't exactly need your validation or approval for it. And so it was just kind of one of those things where they were like, okay. So like uh, we've had partners come to family events, like, you know, we've had partners come to our children's graduations and 
we've had partners come to, you know, family Thanksgiving and, and things like that. Uh, it's just one of those things that they just have kind of like come to. I actually honestly think that his family is probably like, it said Jezebel woman you married, like, you know, <laughs> which is totally not true at all. He's very much a polyamorous person and it had nothing to do with me. But, but yeah, but they're just kind of like, well, like this is just kind of who they are and what they're doing. And so I know they have feelings about it. They don't share those things with us if they do. And we've been doing this now for so long that, you know, it just kind of is what comes with us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they can have whatever feelings they want. That's not your problem. Right. <laughs> Sounds like a them problem. Right. And that's I very much exist in that space of going like, look, this is who I am. I don't feel a lot of shame around like how I show up as an individual. So like, it's kind of like, eh, you know, I, you can have your feelings about it, but I'm still going to do me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you are a bisexual woman is that is that how you would describe your orientation sexual orientation that's what we're calling it nowadays right yes sexual orientation right that yes so i am a bisexual um and a lot of people would probably more so categorize me as pansexual but that just term just doesn't resonate with me like my bisexuality is not trans exclusionary in any way or non-binary exclusionary in any way So like to me, how I express it is I'm attracted to both ends of the gender spectrum. And so everything that falls along that line, I'm attracted to. Um, And so, like I said, most people would probably categorize that as pansexual. But for me, I did not feel like there needed to develop another term, although I definitely understand why there is, because a lot of people's bisexuality is trans exclusionary. Um, But that's just not how my bisexuality shows up. I'm attracted to men. I'm attracted to women. And everything that falls in between that, (laughs) that is also. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's very, it's very true. There is that whole trans-exclusionary part of it and the non-binary exclusion. There's a lot of that that I noticed in the community. And that is part of the reason why I felt more comfortable saying pan. Because the people that I was around, the community that I had at the time that was bisexual was very exclusionary of anything that did not fit the binary as we know it so there is that interested in what kind of poly do you practice i try to practice egalitarian polyamory to the best of my ability so um uh, i definitely recognize that i exist in a relationship that comes with a certain kind of hierarchy not in the sense to where like i categorize or I have this belief that my relationship to my husband is supposed to be the most important one to him, but more so that because of the nature of us living together, having our lives very enmeshed, having children together, the bulk of our time and the bulk of our obligation, the way it shows up, it just is to this container that we're in because of how we've organized our lives around that. Um, which is actually something that we're in the process of restructuring currently. But for the most part, I try to practice ethical and consensual uh, non-monogamy that is very, very, very focused on allowing my partners the maximum amount of autonomy that is available to them. And uh, so I don't, you know, I don't really uh, get down with things like veto. I don't get down with things that have designations to where like, you can only do this with me, or we only do this with each other. Um, That's generally not a space that I like to exist in. And it's very much about like, you know, not asking 
for permission to do certain things, but just kind of going like, hey, like, you know, you know, be transparent with me about what you're doing, but not from a space of you need to ask me for my permission to do those things. I also don't practice a form of non-monogamy where I very much feel like how I feel about a particular thing that my partner is doing should heavily influence their decision of whether or not they should do it or not. Um, so I really try to practice a, a non-monogamy that really focuses on allowing the people that I interact with to be as autonomous as they possibly can about what they do with their time, their heart, their emotions, their sexuality, their bodies, and, um, and also doing that with myself. So you said that you're a non-monogamy coach. Yes. So you say you coach people that are getting into it and trying to figure things out. You've done appearances. You've done talks. And with, if someone is coming to you typically, like what kind of situation, is it that they're already doing it or they're thinking about doing it and they're trying to take the next steps? Like what level do you take people at when it comes to the coaching? A myriad of levels. So I get people that are, you know, uh, they're getting into it and they're wanting to know how to navigate it well and, you know, kind of foresee some of the pitfalls and how to work around them. I deal with people. I saw I get anything from someone going, hey, my partner's going out of town for a weekend and I'm kind of really, you know, having a lot of anxiety about how I'm going to handle it. This is their first time. You know, can you help talk me through like, you know, how to show up to that space to, you know, we just opened up our relationship and now this person has another person and we're kind of navigating that space to people that have been in non-monogamous relationships for a period of time and maybe they've hit a wall with their partner about how to proceed on a particular thing to my partner has this relationship and I'm struggling with this relationship because I really don't like this person. And, you know, so I get a lot of, of various uh, uh, problems and issues and, and things that people need to discuss. And I, I kind of liken it to like just having like um, sessions with me or like having like a really knowledgeable poly friends, you know, someone that you can just kind of talk to and vent to and go, you know, I'm struggling with this or I'm really freaking out about this thing. And I can kind of help talk you down off the ledge. I get a lot of times where I'm, I help to validate people's feelings because they're like, you know, I, I, I was feeling a way about this and I wasn't sure, you know, if I should be feeling this way or, you know, trying to check in and make sure, you know what I mean? That I'm just not, you know, you know, running with my own story without seeing all the other sides. And so sometimes people just need an objective person to kind of go, no, like how you feel about that is valid. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's a, a myriad of things. Do you have people who are just single? They're like, yeah, I think I'm Polly. Like, fix me. <laughs> um, have I ever had that? One time I actually uh, had a client who uh, had engaged in non-monogamous relationships before, but they hadn't really gone very well. And they were with someone and they agreed to be monogamous with the person. I guess they started open and then the person wanted to do non-monogamy and then they wanted to, or monogamy, and then they wanted to go back to non-monogamy. And so they were like, kind of like, you know, asking for my help with that process and kind of deciding if that's what they wanted to do. But most of the time, it's people that are either in relationships. I think I had one woman, actually, um, who I would meet with occasionally who uh, uh, was like fresh out of or had, you know, been divorced for a period of time and was now like, okay, now that I'm single and dating, you know, this is what I want. And so they needed kind of like tips on like, you know, how to meet people and how to structure their relationships, what kind of things should they be communicating, what should they be asking about, what should they be on the lookout for, you know, that kind of stuff. Now I'm a bit curious, not about, you know, I don't want you to give away everything, 
But for example, as a newbie person navigating, you know, non-monogamy and polyamory, what are some of the things you should look out for, good and bad? So number one, I tell everyone when they're coming into non-monogamy that they really need to develop some community. So join groups, find a meetup, you know, find a way that you're interacting with non-monogamous people because you're going to need non-monogamous friends because your monogamous friends are not really going to really be able to like support you uh, when you're kind of going through things uh, and validate your feelings because you usually get those questions of like, why are you doing this? This doesn't work. You know, when you're, I don't understand why you're doing this or this is just a phase or, and so I always tell everybody, get yourself some community, get yourself some non-monogamous friends, even if it's just one or two, number one, because you need to see non-monogamy at work in the lives of other people. And number two, you also need to observe because non-monogamy is so broad and it's so vast and so many people practice it in so many different ways that you're really, really, really going to need to be able to go, okay, I know that this is kind of how I want to show up to it. And I know that that is not how I want to show up to it. So um, it's good to have examples of, of the different ways that people practice it. And then really getting in touch with what you want from relationships, and not only what you want from a relationship, but what you can reasonably provide to a relationship. Because I feel like that's a common pitfall that people fall into when they get into non-monogamy is they make all these promises of, oh, I can show up to this relationship like this, and I can give you this, and I can commit to this, and I can commit to that. But when the rubber actually meets the road, they're not able to do that. And so really, really getting in touch with what you can reasonably offer and what you reasonably want um, so that you are engaging in relationships to where you can actually show up to who, like, you know, what you're sort of promising that you can do. Um, and then also, especially for single people, when you're engaging with couples, really seeing how they show up to non-monogamy is very important. So like if you're engaging with a person who is in a, a nested partnership or a primary partnership or, you know, a marriage or whatever, Asking a lot of questions, you know, what kind of rules do you guys have? You know, like, what are some rules that you you have? You know, what are your expectations? Um, so if your partner is struggling with your connection to me, you know, do you hold that, you know, you're going to cancel dates on me if your partner's struggling with you going out with me or, or that kind of thing? Um, you know, what if your partner doesn't like me? You know, um, do you have a veto um, you know, do they have this expectation that they should be able to dictate the pace of our relationship? And, you know, how autonomous can you be in your relationship with me? And sort of asking questions for how they navigate, you know, non-monogamy. How many partners have you had? You know, what were those relationships like? You know, what are some of the things that, you know, your spouse or you struggle with in non-monogamy? Like having these very, very open conversations very early on about what. And how the person conducts non-monogamy, because you often find that you're like, oh, okay, you're interacting with this person, you're not having this conversation. And then you find out later on after feelings have already developed and you've already, you know, kind of gotten to this thing with this person. And then you find yourself like subject to this rule that you didn't even know existed, you know, (laughs) because you didn't ask the questions, you know, how do you organize your relationships, Uh, you know. Um, what, you know, what, what is, what are we, what are we capable of, of growing into? Um, you know, having those kind of clarifying conversations so that you have a, a relatively accurate picture of, of what you can reasonably expect from the person. So you can kind of consensually go, yeah, that's going to work for me. It's like, ah, I don't think that's going to work for me um, before, you know, it's kind of too late. Oh, yeah, that does a very, very good points, especially with dating people who are already in relationships or who are married. Those are some questions that I think a lot of us shy away from. You know, as a person who's not married, as a single person, there are 
I have butt my head against a wall once or twice trying to get to know people who are already in partnerships, put it that way. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, what about this? Or how about we do this? And it's kind of like, a no, like there's, there's a red light, there's a hand, it's a whole thing. It's immediately like it's very off putting, but it also lets you know right up front. Yeah, this is not going to work for me because I need that kind of flexibility where we can at least have a discussion about it, even if we can't do it. Like, let's talk about what this looks like. Right. And I also tell people that, you know, because a, a lot of times those feel very serious. So it's like, OK, well, why would you ask that on a first date? Like, we don't even know if we really like each other. But I feel personally like a person should show up to a space of going, hey, like if someone's asking me what they can reasonably expect from a relationship with me, like that is not something that I should balk at. Because this person is just trying to figure out, you know, if they can feel safe enough to, to enter into this thing with me. And so if you asking those questions to a person and they have this very like, well, why are you asking me about that? Or why do you need that information? Or, or they, they sort of um, drag their feet to that process or don't really join you in that space. That's a red flag, like, you know, because like, you know, to me, that's a conversation I want you to ask those questions because you should want to have a reasonable idea of like what being in a relationship with me is going to be like for you. So you can make an informed choice. And also like, what if what I want from a relationship is not even close to what you want? Like we're still getting to know each other. Right. So right. what if I'm into this and I'm thinking, you know, I want a long-term serious partner. You're kind of like, listen, I'm just here to get some pussy. This is what I'm doing right now. Like I got a wife, I got two girlfriends. I don't need another one. I just need someone else to fuck. And so just that kind of incompatibility as well. Asking the tough questions sometimes on first dates definitely cuts out a lot of the bullshit that you go through on the sixth or the seventh date after you've gotten to a point and then you realize, well, shit, we're not on the same page at all. How do I do this? Right. And now you like the person or they like you or you're going like, well, and, and that's I feel like that's that space that you get into where you start um, like tossing your needs and wants on the threshing floor just for the sake of kind of keeping this person that you're connected to, you know? So it's, it's better to kind of learn that stuff a lot more early on when you can kind of make those, sever those ties if you need to, or just transition a relationship as, oh, we should probably just pursue friendship or we should, you know, we, we clearly have a connection and we clearly enjoy one another, but maybe, you know, a romantic relationship isn't the best container for that for us because we have these very, very, very fundamental things that um, don't match up. Um, and so a friendship might be better and it's better to learn that stuff a little early on than further down the line when now like feelings have been involved. And so now you're like, well, I really want to keep this person and I like this part, but this is really, really uncomfortable for me. And so you have a tendency to uh, kind of, you know, um, kind of discount yourself and the things that you want because you're just trying to keep this person around. Whereas if you had to did that a little bit earlier in the process, it might have been a little easier to kind of see it's like, yeah, it's probably not the best space for us. Yeah, see, that's also very important. But there is this negativity that's associated with friendship for some reason. I love my friends more than any romantic partner I've ever had. And all the ones I've ever had know that. So there, there's no shame. No one's going to come and steal me for saying that. Like my best friend, and she's my best friend because we, we're just, there's a thing. We're together forever. There is that. But she and I already know what our future is going to look like together. We we have our futures planned together. So no matter where we end up, you know, two ver two roads diverge in a wood, we're always going to meet somewhere. There is no space where we are not together, where we are not building a future together, where we don't have a life together. So it's difficult for people to understand 
I think, because we seem to prioritize romantic relationships as a Western society or, you know, heteronormative stuff. It's like, well, we see it in movies all the time where, you know, the rich, successful woman who is single, you know, all her other friends are married. You know, the friends are all fucked off and left her because they're married, doing married things. And she's left out there alone because her friendship is not as important as their boyfriends or their marriages and stuff. And you kind of get the feeling that if you're not a part of the pair system, like we said, then you just don't belong and you don't fit. And friendship is not a valid pair. Yeah. Or you're seen as like a half person, you know, like you're just a half person until you find your other half. And now you're like a whole, like, you know, adult human being because you're in this, you know, partnership and a romantic partnership specifically uh, with someone like that scene is like some like, you know, marker of maturity. Yep. And but you know what? I actually enjoy being friend zoned and friend zoned, not in the negative way that we're we're taking it to people who take it to me. Right. But like I enjoy people like actively wanting to build a friendship with me to build that sort of connection, because there's also the part of it that I well, and this is, you know, a poly part of things for me, which is that I only fuck my friends. So, I mean, I can fuck you if you're not my friend, but is it going to be as good? Are we really going to get where we need to get? Probably not. And I like to fuck people long term. That's the thing. So, shit, I've been fucking the same dude on and off for like 10 years just because I can. (laughs) Because we're friends and we have that sort of relationship. But I like that sort of intimacy where we can, even if it's not like we don't have sex today, but like, oh, hey, let's go watch a movie. Let's go do whatever. And I think there's this idea that those things are only for dating. And Mm. only for dating or it's only for friends and you can't have any great errors. So if you guys have seen each other naked or if you've touched, if you've bumped uglies in any kind of way, that it kind of blurs the lines or invalidates other parts of the relationship. And that's one of the things I kind of enjoyed about learning about polyamory. It was kind of like, no, I get to, I get to love however I want to love. And I get to, of course, with respect, ethically, consensually, all of that. But no one's looking at me funny for doing this. Like, it's, 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 it's weird and amazing at the same damn time. Yeah, I think it's just that space of going that I can craft my relationships to contain whatever it is that I want to have in them. And we don't have to, like, find ourselves in these very strict and rigid examples of this is my friend and this is the only thing that I do with these people and this is the only thing I do with these romantic partners. And, you know, I don't take a friend to a family function because I only do that with my romantic partners or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And then you get into this world of, you know, ethical non-monogamy and you're like, oh, like I can, you know, I can, you know, what as long as me and this other person are in agreement with what we're doing, you know, we can craft whatever ship, you know, we want to craft with each other. Yeah, that that probably is my most a thousand percent favorite thing. So we talked about finding community before, right? So when you guys were exploring, did you do that online community thing first or did you just happen to fall into an in-person swinger sort of meetup? Well, so how we found out about the swinger uh, party that we went to, the very first one, was through meetup. And then at the meetup, we met a couple who we ended up becoming friends with, and they would host events at their place. And then through those people, we met other people. um, And so our 
our intro to non-monogamy was very much an in-person thing. Um, and it wasn't, we like, we did get into a couple like online swinger groups and stuff, but it was largely um, in-person meetings and just, you know, and that really was how the swinger community worked. It was like, you know, you meet people and then you get introduced to other people and they invite you to their, their stuff. And, you know, and so, you know, because there's a lot of like, you know, kind of vetting, is this person okay? You know, that kind of thing. And so that part was very in-person the polyamory part was very online. So, I mean, you know, we met our partner in person at a party, but once we got into the polyamory arena, we began to join these other groups, you know, so we could meet other people that were doing this because we were like, we do not know what we're doing. And then that is where we became a lot more um, online uh, because especially because I live in San Diego, the polyamorous community in San Diego is extremely white. And, uh, and so we needed kind of, you know, okay, like where are the black people that are doing this? And we largely found that online. Yeah, that is true. I was thinking about that. Cause isn't that where that, that TV show Married and Dating was? Wasn't that in San Diego? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went yeah. to like rum circle at a yoga studio and she happened to be there. So yeah. Oh yeah. I, I thought about that show right only the other day and I was like, whatever happened to those people? Very funny. I've only seen one episode of that show. And the one episode that I saw, they had a play party. And this guy showed up to the play party who I had went on a date with, um, like, you know, a few like, like, you know, a year or so, like, or, you know, sometime back. And I was like, that's that guy I went on this date with. And just, <laughs> I mean, the show was already over. So, you know, he was on the show like before we met. But yeah, but I just randomly watched one episode and happened to see this guy, um, the one black guy that was on the show um, or in the episode uh, was this guy that I went on a date with. It's okay. He was probably the one black guy on the entire show, too. Like, let's be honest about that. Let's be honest about that. Uh, Yeah, no, that's definitely very interesting. And also the world is small and getting smaller every second. So what is the best place to find? I mean, of course, we're in COVID now. No. I won't say no one's meeting up, but the the meetup situation in person is definitely there are a lot more factors at play here with that. So when we're looking for online community, you know, there are tons of Facebook groups out there. Facebook is accessible in general, but, you know, here we are. It's what everyone's on. What are some of the things that we should look for in a good Facebook group about polyamory? And I, I say good because I have joined some groups and well shit just went sideways real fast <laughs> i think the best polyamorous group i'm in is the one that we're in together and that's bpr and yeah. i'm trying to think of any other good groups that i've had experiences with and i can't think of a single one right now but i'm sure there is one so people going out there just trying to wet their feet in the online space what are some key things that they should look out for in like a proper space where they can actually learn things and not get bogged down by bullshit probably the best way of putting it yeah um i tend to like the groups that have a good ratio of fun and games and things like that but also is about education you know about asking questions about um non-monogamous concepts about emotion management about you know self-work you know growth those kinds of things. So I like groups that have a good mix of both of those things. I also like groups that are inclusive. 
So they're making sure that they are um, trans inclusive. They're making sure that they are queer inclusive um, and that they're really, 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 um, uh, they take a very active approach in doing that, not just kind of this passive, like, you know, well, but they're very, very intentional about making sure that their space is um, inclusive. Um, I tend to like groups to where not necessarily that there is no ability to meet someone for dating in the group or that they don't have some focus on that, but that is not the entire focus of the group where it's just cruising the whole time. All the posts are about, I'm looking for somebody, somebody DM me, somebody message me. And I also like groups where they make sure that they're keeping the uh, members safe in that way to where if someone is just sliding in people's DMs with a whole bunch of crazy shit, that they shut that down that they make sure that they're keeping their uh, members feeling safe to be able to um, interact and safe to be able to comment and post without feeling like they're going to be hounded or inundated with people that are like, hey, date me, date me, date me. Um, so I definitely like groups that that have a focus on making sure that that's also a way that they're keeping their um, their members safe because you can you hear a lot of like horror stories of being in groups and all of a sudden somebody's you know, inbox is getting flooded with somebody who just won't let up and won't leave them alone. Um, and so, um, and so those are some of the things that I have a tendency to look for. And then um, groups where they also, they allow people to have their genuine interactions, but they don't allow like disrespect. So I've definitely seen groups where people just talk all kinds of crazy to people. Um, and that they also know the difference between an attack and being challenged because there's a difference between someone mm-hmm. challenging point and then someone attacking you personally for it. Like those are two very different things. And a lot of times people see uh, someone challenging someone's viewpoint as uh, they're attacking this person. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're just saying, I don't agree with what you're, uh, this person is saying and they're challenging their viewpoint so that there is a space for our viewpoints to be challenged, uh, but not in these very disrespectful ways. Oh, yeah. See, those are some good tips. So for those of you out there who are not really sure what to look for in the cesspool of Facebook groups, these are some actually great tips and things to keep an eye out on. And of course, some of these things you can't find out unless you actually join the group and see how people interact in there first, because a lot of these groups are private as well. But, you know, I think this will at least give you a head start into the kinds of interactions you genuinely want to have with people in this community. And then when you get into a group, because I find that this happens a lot, people get in a group and they just go all willy nilly. It's like feel the group out, you know, read the pin post, scroll down. Like, you know, if there's a question that you want to ask, do a quick search and see if somebody already asked it. Like, you know what I mean? So do your research. Don't just like come in the group and just like, I'm here. blah. Like, you know, feel the room out, you know, feel the lay of the land of the place so that you're um, interacting. Because a lot of times I'll get into a group and I'll kind of read down and I'm like, oh, no, this is not the space for me. And then I just exit stage left very quietly. I don't make this huge, you know, announcement about, you know, I don't want to be here. I'm just like, oh, you know, this isn't the space for me. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, go ahead and dip. Um, So, you know, like take a little bit of time to sort of like read the room first before you just kind of you know, just show up. And I get that, that, that space of being excited to be in a group of people, you know, that you feel like you have this, like, you know, kinship or you connect on this thing, especially with polyamory, because sometimes it's just like, is there anybody that's there, you know, out there that's doing this? And so then you find yourself in this community, and you're like, oh, wow, there's a whole group of people that are doing this. Um, but not all groups are created equal. So <laughs> that part, <laughs> that part, 
But yeah, that's, that's very important. Not all groups are created equal. I'm going to make that the tagline for this episode <laughs> somewhere. Not all groups are created equal. Um, so what made you decide to, you know, you talked about being public about your struggles and your learnings about polyamory. You know, you do live videos fairly frequently. You do like a post almost every day, like a little quote and something to take away for the day. What made you decide to make it so such a regular thing? as opposed to just every once in a while? Um, well, I had been doing videos and things like that for a while and writings and whatnot, but it was very inconsistent. Um, that's definitely something I struggle with. And I'm sure as a person who does podcasts too, you can understand like the, the hard part of content creation is consistency and like keeping yourself consistent so that you remain relevant. You know, so I would do a post and then wouldn't do another one for a few weeks or, you know, and, 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 and largely that was because I was making posts as I was going through things in my polyamory. So I'd go through something, I'd have a revelation about that thing, or I'd have a, you know, an aha moment. And then I would share about that. But especially as I began to do polyamory a lot longer, those issues just began to get a lot more spaced out because I had more practice. And so like, I just wasn't going through as many issues as frequently as I was when I first got into it. And so when COVID happened, I kind of challenged myself. It's like, well, you know, just do a little reminder, like, you know, once a day and see if you could do that. And it just really picked up steam. Like, you know, and I was like, you know, and try to keep it concise so that it doesn't feel too challenging for you to do it. And I allow myself the space to go, if I just ain't got nothing to say today, I just ain't got nothing to say. Um, And so a lot of it was just me drawing from various lessons that I had learned along the way and just going, oh, this might be um, uh, useful, or this might be resonant, or this might be something that resonates with people. And um, and then it just really kind of took off from there. So like when I first started, um, when I started COVID-19, I think I had maybe maybe like 1,600 followers at, on my Instagram, and it was largely just me posting about my life. And occasionally I would talk about something here and there, and now I'm at like probably like 7,600 now or something like that. So just in the few yeah. months I started, it just really took off and um, people really, you know, responded to it. And then I was like, oh, OK, well, this is actually something that people appreciate. So let me go ahead and and and, uh, and do that. And so, yeah. And so that's how I got to where I am now. Uh, yeah. How, how are you doing with COVID? Like, I mean, do, how are your relationships handling this pandemic situation? Because, you know, you live with your husband, so there there can be issues of course trying to move from that environment like okay you have a nested partner you have kids with them safety there and then you know seeing partners outside of that how has that been for you guys it's actually been pretty pretty good like we haven't had any issues uh with regard to that um you know we are very much on the same page about interacting with people um and we don't have a lot of partners like you know my husband has um one other partner uh, currently, I have one other partner currently. Um, and so, you know, we just we've communicated and then both of our partners live uh, a distance away from us. So my partner is about a two hour drive away from me. His partner is like a nine hour drive away from him. So usually he flies to go see her. But because of COVID-19 and just not wanting to travel, he's been driving. So he'll rent a car and he'll drive to go see her um, for the weekend. And um, so it actually hasn't been very challenging. I mean, obviously, you have some of the discomfort of like, you know, we're in the house. And so we have to do like, you know, video calls while the other person is there and, you know, that kind of thing. But 
for the most part, we've navigated it pretty smoothly and it hasn't really caused a whole lot of issues. So my husband and I are actually uh, separating currently um, as of last week, but I don't really think that had a whole lot to do with COVID. So like, I just think that, you know, those I mean, things, things just happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I just thought it was interesting because I know that I've had a conversation with someone that I was talking to, not like, you know, dating necessarily, but just, you know, getting to know. It's kind of like, hey, well, what if we wanted to see each other? We live in two different states. And I was kind of like, well, (laughs) you know, we'll have to get COVID tested. We'll have to do, you know, the quarantine thing to make sure that we're good. We have to figure out the best way to travel, how long we're going to be spending time in the same space as each other, you know, making sure that we are as safe as possible. Um, but of course, it's it's different when you live close by to a partner because you can just, you know, do a socially distanced coffee or something. But once you're factoring distance, there are so many more factors at play. Like you said, you know, your husband, nine hour drive to see his other partner. And that that's a huge commitment of time. Right. <laughs> of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A one hour flight, you know, and so you had the whole weekend. Now it's like, you know, half of the day that you're, you know, planning on spending with this person is just travel. And, you know, so basically a whole day almost uh, is just travel because you got to drive up there. you got to drive back. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's it just it's interesting how we've come to navigate our relationships in this time. Uh, I did a conversation with uh, Pages Matam and, of course, you know, Cherie Calico-Roman, where we talked about ways to keep relationships spicy, you know, Long distance, we talked about consent issues and how, of course, with the pandemic, consent's even more important. Because like you said, we're in the house together all the time. And Cherie even made a point, like, you know, you have to ask your partners, like, well, do your other partners have access to your phone? Like, if I'm sending you photos or we're having messages, are are our conversations protected in this mm-hmm. time period where you're at home all the time as well? as do we share a family computer? And I was kind of like, wow, I've never actually thought to ask those questions, probably because I'm yeah. single. But there's that. That's actually something that I do tell, I I counsel people when you're interacting with people and they have partners is asking them, do you share your conversations? Um, Because I actually was uh, talking to a person recently and that was something that they expressed is that, you know, part of their, you know, transparency was they have access to each other's conversations with other people. And I was kind of like, like, I was like, um, yeah, you might need to augment that practice, I said, because it doesn't really honor the privacy of the other people. Or if that's what you're doing, you need to let these other people know that their conversation with you is being surveilled by your partner, um, that your partner has access to this because there may be things that they're sharing with you that they absolutely do not want your partner to know. And rightly so, because their relationship is not with your partner, it's with you. And um, a lot of people just don't think about that. And I've I've heard that often where someone was, you know, in a relationship with someone and they thought that their their communication with the person was private and then the person's spouse will allude to something that they shared privately or allude to the fact that they had access to these, you know, this 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 communication and they had no idea. Um, and so that is very, very, very important to ask of going, hey, like, you know, like you said, do you have a shared computer? Like, you know, does your partner regularly go through your phone and do, do they feel like that's something that they have a right to? Um, is it being able to access your messages? Like, is my communication with you private? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, I, yeah, I I have set up certain safeguards. I'm talking to someone, I'm kind of like, hey, here's an app that you should get. I think you should get it. <laughs> you should get this app. 
our chats will only last for anywhere from a couple of hours to a day or a week in this app. And uh, the chat is password protected and the app is password protected. And this chat only appears on the device that you have it on. So like try to set up those sorts of safeguards just because, you know, anyone accidentally popping in and seeing your titty in a chat or seeing some super private conversation that, you know, especially something that like you're struggling with or just, just anything. Yeah. Just things that we definitely need to talk about. See, that's why we need you for, for coaching. So where can people contact you for coaching? Like t- tell them where they can contact you for that specifically. Um, So on my Facebook page, Lavita Loca Sawyer's, there's a booking tool. So I actually just got a message recently that someone's trying to book, a, book an appointment, but, um, but there's a booking tool on my Facebook page. So you go to the booking tool and then you just find the time that's available and it has my um, prices listed uh, for what I offer. Um, occasionally I'll get people that'll message me via Instagram um, and uh, cause they don't have a Facebook. So I know there are definitely, you know, people that don't have Facebook. And so um, I can set up, you know, an appointment time with them there. And then I just schedule it on my calendar um, and that's at Lavita Loca 34. Uh, but most of the time I get my appointments through my um, Facebook page. Oh, yeah, that's interesting because I know some people. Yeah, there's like a special. I didn't know if I still had a booking tool now that I think about it. Did I know that? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Oh, look at them. They got their fingers in all the pies, don't they? <laughs> but no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that people could reach out to you for coaching, that we were able to have this conversation. Um. Hmm. If there is one tip that you could give to people who are exploring non-monogamy in their non-monogamous states, you know, doing the thing, what's that one tip that you would give them? Just one. Um, that polyamory is very much an individual journey and that the person that you are going to become most intimate with is yourself. And that that is the most important. That's the key component. It is going to cause you to really, really, really face yourself. And that in order to, I feel, be successful about that, that needs to be your primary focus, not from a selfishness or a self-absorbed space, but from a space of going, how, what do I want from relationships? Who do I want to be in my relationships? How do I want to feel in my relationships? What kind of partners work for me in my relationships? It is very, 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 very much a journey of self-discovery. And that is probably the most important piece. And that is actually probably the piece of it that I appreciate the most as I have become far, far, far more self-aware, much more self-contained and much more acquainted with myself than I have with any other person that I interacted with. See Again, amazing tip, amazing clip. I'm going to, oh, it's going to be an amazing episode. But thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me for this recording. Um, Of course, we'll put all the links to where to find you in our detailed show notes, like I always do. And trust me, you guys, I I want Evita coaching me, so you definitely want Evita coaching you. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I loved it. This was a great conversation. Okay, awesome. Once again. I want to thank the lovely, vivacious, intelligent, beautiful, like charismatic, knowledgeable, Evita, Levita Loco Sawyers for okay, joining us. I was wondering us. if you had any more words. In- I have many more words. I just, I forgot half of them. So. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to thank her for joining me in this interview on the pod and for being a part of the monogamish experience. 
And yeah, I don't know. It was just amazing. I had an I had an amazing time talking to her, and I was like hella intrigued the entire time. We actually did the interview over video. Obviously, you guys don't get the video; you get the audio. But I would just like low key staring at her the entire time. So there was that. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> Jen can have herself sometimes, but you know, yeah, it works out. She's familiar with my my faces, but she keeps yeah. it professional. I do keep it profesh. That's right. I am a professional. I keep things profesh. And um, yeah, is there anything else that we need to cover on this week's episode? I mean, like I said, next week is where things are going to get holiday, holiday. Talk about our whole, whole, holes. I mean, hoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the whole, the the whole day stands for both whole and whole. Like that's the, the root word is both. I learned that recently. That's what we're doing. So looking forward to sharing that with you guys next week. Um, But until then, if you want to catch up, if you're new to Monogamish Pod, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us. You want to catch up on our past episodes, then you go to your favorite podcatcher. So we are on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, where we want you to rate, review, and subscribe and leave five stars. And we're on Spotify. We are on Anchor, which is where we host. Also, Anchor is owned by Spotify. Fun fact, just putting that out there. Um, We're on Stitcher. We're on, what's that other one I mentioned the other day? Podbean, Podbay, one of those Podbean, Podbean ones. Podbay is what I use, but yeah, that's Podbean too. I don't know. I assume we're on all the things. We're on all the things. Find us over there. If we're not on a thing, tell us and we will get on that thing. That's right. We will get on that thing. And you want to follow us on Twitter. Sham holds it down over there at MonogamishPod. I take care of our Instagram at MonogamishPod. Uh, Facebook is kind of like a joint effort with Instagram, which means that sometimes I post things that go to both places. <laughs> I'm a cheater. I admit it. <laughs> and that's a MonogamishPod on Facebook as well. You can search for us that way. I'm actually in several black polyamorous Facebook groups. So if you are from one of those groups and you're listening to this episode, holla. Hi. How you all doing? This is yeah, not she's a sex. The, the cute one that was posting about the podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's me. It's me. I'm here. Hi. And let's see. What else can you find us? Of course, our three most recent episodes are on SoundCloud because we're still cheap. Or SoundCloud yeah. is still too expensive. What? Yeah, we, we, we blame them. It's their SoundCloud fault. SoundCloud is still too expensive for us to be paying for that shit right now, I think. And you can always support our merch shop, uh, monogamishpod.threadless.com, or directly through our website, monogamishpod.com, and just click the shop button. That's also where you get our detailed show notes that I slave for many, many hours over or something. (laughs) And I'm actually looking at doing transcripts instead of, like, detailed show notes. So we'll see if people like that better. I don't know. What do you think? Like a whole, like like everything we say? I guess that would technically mm-hmm. <laughs> cover everything just without the links, but boy, that's right? a whole lot of words. Eh, yeah, a whole lot of words, and it wouldn't be that bad. We, we could figure that out. We'll see how things go for 2021. Um, is there anything I'm forgetting, Shamdeezy? Tell me. Uh, do we say the Patreon? Patreon.com slash monogamishpod because you can't search us because we are too sexy. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We're too sexy for the Patreon. Too sexy for the Patreon. <laughs> so sexy, we want more patrons. <laughs> I, sorry, I didn't know where I was going with that either. I mean, it's not wrong. It's not good, but it's not wrong. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not wrong, not wrong. Okay. So I think I've covered all that stuff. Sham, do you want to talk about the other two amazing things to discuss here before we head out? Uh, would it be our friends over at YouTube, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> Love the clothing line. That's where you can go. Get your T-shirts. Get your other clothing. Get yourself fitted out in wonderful artistic type gear with a Jamaican flair. Because, you know, being Jamaican automatically makes you cool. So wearing Jamaican makes you a, a little bit more cool. Not as cool as an actual Jamaican, but you'll still like it. And if you're Jamaican, plus the shirts, extra, extra cool. But the rest of y'all... You just do your best and get the t-shirts because the t-shirts are awesome. All their clothing are awesome, of course. That's over at YouTubeBright.com. That's Y-U-H-T-O-O. And you should know it's spelled bright. We've got a, a coupon code, right? Monogamish. Yes. Monogamish part of Monogamish. You know, just put Monogamish. Um, yeah. YouTubeBright.com, you get 10% off your order. Yes. Save some money in this Christmas season. Y'all need it. We, we know you need it. Everybody needs it right now. So save some money. Use that Monogamish pod. That Monogamish coupon code. And of course, one last time, shout out to our friends at altplayground.net. Head on over there. You know, you know, you know, we said it before. We said it before. Head on over to altplayground.net. And I think that's it. Yeah. So one time for the one time. I'm Jen. I'm Sham. And, and we're monogamous. Yeah, it doesn't go. I don't know. XOXO guys. Bye.